Hi, I'm Sarah Keeley, a personal coach, and this is Into Focus, a podcast about chronic pain, mental health, well-being and lifestyle. Any tips or opinions mentioned in this podcast aren't intended as a substitute for professional medical advice. These are just our thoughts and opinions, and we appreciate that everyone's different. Hope you enjoy! Hello everyone. I'm here today with Sarah Walsh, uh, coach and spoonie extraordinaire. Uh, introduce yourself, Sarah. Hi everyone. Uh, so I'm Sarah. Um, I am a transformational coach. I coach women who want to fulfill their potential, make a difference in the world, but feel that they can't do so due to self-doubt and fear that they have. Um, so I help them to transform their inner world so that they can make the difference that they want to make. Um, I have uh, I have a couple of chronic um, health conditions, uh, but the most uh, prominent one, uh, the one that gives me the most issue, I suppose, is uh, Ehlers-Danlos Hypermobility Syndrome, um, and I have the usual stuff that goes with that, uh, like postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, aka parts, because the full name is way too long and complicated to pronounce, um, and both of those cause chronic fatigue, chronic pain and can generally make life uh, a bit unpredictable. Thank you for introducing yourself, Sarah. I, it just struck me as you were saying all that, how like seamless and uh, you've obviously said this to people before and explained this to people before. And I think that's <laughs> something that uh, a lot of us can relate to is that you kind of come up with like a bit of a script that that you can rehe- that you can just spiel yeah. off. Bit of a spiel, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it's great. Uh, it's very um, concise and 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 wonderful for people to know who you are. So, um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the coaching side of things uh, in a bit. But um, tell me more about kind of your journey with uh, the things that you've mentioned, EDS and POTS and etc. Yeah. Um. So I was only diagnosed with EDS uh, back in twenty twelve. Um, and so I was, how old was I? 31, I think at the time. So it wasn't something that had really had made itself apparent, uh, in my childhood or teenage years. Although obviously when I got the diagnosis, then looking back, a lot of things suddenly fell into place and made sense. Um, so I ended up getting diagnosed with that because I had, uh, only for about how many months actually it wasn't many months so I sort of count myself lucky because I know a lot of people I mean the vast majority of people who end up being diagnosed with something like EDS take years to get a diagnosis and find out you know what all their health problems are down to um mine only ended up taking a few months uh but that was kind of by accident so essentially what happened was um I just got hit by this wall of fatigue which seemed to come out of nowhere um and I, I kept thinking I was getting a virus and it just wasn't appearing you know that feeling you get when you're coming down the flu and mm. nothing happened and I remember saying to one of my friends that god you know I wish this flu would just hurry up and it would come out because then it will go and every time I was like yeah that's it I'm coming down with something I'd wake up the next morning and you know it wouldn't be there I'd just feel really tired so I went, you know, to the doctors and had all the usual tests, the blood tests. Um, and of course, everything came back as, you know, inverted commas, fine. Um, so she said, well, if all these tests come back as fine, then you'll be diagnosed as having ME chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm. 
and I thought well that's it doesn't make sense you know like how could this just like just come out of out of nothing um but that was sort of what was happening so what happened the happy accident was I was training university students at the time um so university students who were in receipt of disabled students allowance so they got um specialist software and hardware to you know use at university to help them do their degrees and whatever courses they were doing and one of my students was a trainee physiotherapist and I was training her how to scan books and we picked up a textbook I have no idea what this textbook was on and it literally fell open at a page about hypermobility and I said oh I'm a bit hypermobile and she looked at me straight in the eyes and said do you get tired easily I went oh I said actually I'm I've been seeing my doctor because she thinks I've got ME and she said look into it people with hypermobility often have chronic fatigue and have problems in that area so I thought okay I'd never heard of this before um I went home and I started researching and what popped up was just like, you know, every like re reading like my life story and what had been going on and everything that had been happening. Um, so I went back to the doctor, obviously I got the names of specialists I needed to see, um, got a referral. And so that's how I was actually managed to get diagnosed in a fair, what I would call a fairly short space of time. Mm. Um, so, but I mean, what had happened was I wasn't working. I had been freelancing. Um, so doing this, this training for um, students, I was a freelancer. Um, so I wasn't able to work that much. Um, but then what that was able to do is they were then able to say, right, okay, so you haven't just kind of got, you know, mysterious um, fatigue from an unknown origin. Um, the reason you're getting so tired is your your joints are really bendy, uh, so your body's doing three times the work of a non-hypermobile person just to be. Um, so you know, if I work a nine-hour day to someone else that will feel nine hours, I'll feel like I've worked twenty-seven hours. Um, and again, all the the parts and the related things um, basically affect your cardiovascular system. So of course that makes you really tired as well. So I was able to get you know, proper um, targeted help, which at the time, if I recall, was mostly specialist physiotherapy, um, which helped me a lot um, to basically build up my muscles. So even though my joints are still really hypermobile, at least my body can cope with it better than, you know, just basically being a noodle, which is kind of what I started to call myself. I love that. That's great. A noodle. Yeah. It, it sounds like, I mean, it's kind of amazing, isn't it? That just by ha by happenstance that you spoke to the student and she happened to say that. And, you know, you, you happen to open that book on that page. It's yeah. kind of amazing. Um, for people who, because maybe I, I know a fair bit about ADS and, and POTS, but um, for people who don't, I know you've mentioned some of the symptoms and some of the ways that it affects you. Um, what are kind of, for you and the way that you experience, because obviously everybody's different, what are the main symptoms uh, or, or ways that it impacts you? Uh, so the, the biggest thing for me is fatigue. I get really tired from just doing normal everyday stuff. And when I say tired, I don't mean the kind of tired that you get at the end of a long day and you sort of feel, oh, wow, yeah, I'm really tired. But then you have a sleep and you wake up tomorrow feeling refreshed and, you know, yeah, another day I can go again. Um, the, the kind of the fatigue you get is what you 
you feel like you have less than nothing. You know, it's like someone's taken out all your life force and they've left you just enough to, to kind of keep breathing. Um, that's the biggest one. And it's, it's especially tricky when you're running, trying to run your own business because it can be unpredictable. So even though, um, you know, I've done courses in pacing, which is, you know, trying to plot out your activity, knowing what the maximum is you can do and trying to avoid boom or bust, which is when you do a lot one day and then you're totally washed out for one, two, three days afterwards. Um, it, it is an inexact science. So you can you can pace to textbook levels and you still end up kind of, you know, falling off a tea cliff. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I preach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is difficult. So that's really hard. Um, and because of that, and um, pots, uh, weather affects me really badly. So my favorite seasons, I like it when it's, it's not too warm and it's not too cold. Uh, I, I don't mind summer if it's dry, dry heat. Apparently I can cope with just fine. Like I went on holiday to Canada a couple of years ago and it was ridiculously hot. It was like 35, 36 degrees. And I couldn't understand why I felt fine until I realized it, there was no humidity. Mm. So I was absolutely fine. In London, if it's 27, 28, but it's always really humid, I'm just completely wiped out. Mm. I mean, I can't, that one I find difficult to explain. Um, but again, it's a, I suppose for people who don't have anything like this, the closest they probably get to understanding is if you have had the flu and you've got over the actual flu's gone, but in that kind of week afterwards, you're not functioning. So, you know, your inverted commas better, but your brain's not working, you're using the wrong words. Um, you keep forgetting where you've put things, that that sort of thing. That's that's the level it's at. Um, so there's that, and pain is is a problem. Um, I think for me, I find that easier to get around than fatigue. Fatigue's like a wall that I just can't, you know, woof, that's it. Mm. With pain, kind of, you can take certain pain meds, you can gently keep plodding along. Um, but that can be hard, you know, I can have a, a day out with friends you know yesterday I was at museums and I normally hate museums because <laughs> of the amount of walking and standing that's involved um and then the next day you know just everywhere and for people who aren't familiar with uh, kind of widespread chronic pain it affects you in areas that you don't think it would affect you yeah so your your pain systems the volume is turned way too high than it should be so anything you do like the other day I was climbing to bed and I whacked my knee on the dressing table which of course really hurt. You know, there was a sharp intake of breath and some, and when I could breathe again, some choice swear words, um, which yeah, really hurt. But then what happened? Instead of just my knee hurting, it actually spread kind of all the way up my leg, all the way up my back. It actually reached my hands, which were nowhere near my knee at the time, and you know, had no involvement. Um, but it was incredibly painful. So that is difficult as well. And the impact of that is it can really restrict what you do because because you then you start becoming afraid to do things because mm. you know it's going to affect you you become afraid to move you become afraid to go out in case you crash and you're out and you're on your own um so those oh and um actually two two other big things which a lot of people don't know about eds is that it affects your gastrointestinal system as well which is not fun um so I have, a, you know, a few food intolerances, uh, which I can generally navigate pretty well, but not all the time. Yeah. Um, and the other one actually is anxiety. People with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome are, I can't remember the exact um, multiplication of, you know, 
how more often you're likely to have an anxiety disorder but it's it's huge a huge amount than in in the general population mm. um so you kind of bundle that all up all together and you can find yourself firefighting in in tons of different directions it's so many things you've got to think about yeah it, and just hearing you talk and uh, <laughs> uh, for pe- people listening we're, we're uh, on video so we can see each other um and i was just nodding and smiling because uh i haven't been diagnosed with eds but i am hypermobile uh, it's something that i'm looking into and um everything you were talking about fatigue and and the wall and the pain you know you can I've had it before where, you know, somebody's just jabbed me in the ribs, like cheekily joking about something. Yeah. And for a normal person, it might hurt for like a minute, if that, yeah. for 30 seconds. And then, you know, you rub it better and it goes away. But with um, hypersensitivity to pain, uh, you, it suddenly feels like you've been hit, like punched or, you know, yeah. you've been hit for far too long. It then radiates. And uh, I've been doing some more research into this and it sounds like you have as well. Um, and a lot of people will know this, but your body, when you experience pain, that it's not, uh, how do I put this? It's not justified in that um, mm. you're not in any danger. You just, yeah. you just banged yourself, but yeah. your body, when you have a lot of that and you're hypersensitive, your body anticipates it and becomes even more sensitive to listening out for pain. And it, yeah. and it amplifies it. Like you said, that volume turning up thing. Yeah. And so a lot of the work for reducing chronic pain is in trying to turn that volume a little bit down, um, yeah. and prevent the things that, um, that might flare you up but again the problem with that um it's great in in theory and in practice actually but then you can become scared to do things you can become so keen on pacing that you that Mm. becomes everything that you're focused on um how do you um find the balance between pacing and being spontaneous um oh wow it is a it's a really fine line to tread Mm. um I mean, the thing with pacing, so I actually, I mean, we'll probably talk more about this because it's kind of how I end up getting into coaching, but I actually did a program called the Changing Outlook on Pain Experiences um, at, I can't remember the name of the actual hospital, but it's um, a pain management hospital and it's part of the University College London Hospital Trust. Um, And that was amazing because, so what you were saying about trying to prevent the things that flare you up, actually with pacing they teach you the opposite it's almost it's not it's not quite like it's not quite exposure therapy Mm. but it's um it's about finding out what's the level you can operate at and then can you push that a bit further you know so once you it's about building new levels yeah so it is tricky and part of it is actually kind of accepting that every so often you are going to fall off the fatigue cliff you know you are going to do something and your body's going to say i did not like that and then you take it down a couple of notches and, you know, go back to maybe a couple of steps below where you were. Okay, let's leave it at that for a while. And then let's try again, maybe do it a little bit slower. Um, something I've noticed. Um, so depending on when this goes out, I might still be running my challenge on social media yes. um, that you know about. Um, so I'm running a challenge called Chronically Kicking It. on. It's mostly on Instagram, to be fair. Um, that's what I use the most. And it's been really helpful for me to be doing it because I'm looking at my patterns. So even though I've been tracking on my little calendar, I've got, you know, the wins that I've had for this week. Um, a core component of this challenge is 
focusing on the difficulties you're having and what you want to focus on. And something I realized yesterday is I think I've accidentally fallen back into boom and bust without realizing it. Um, because they can't, they even say when you're pacing, look, you can, if you know you've got a big event coming up, if you, as long as you plan in the rest days, that's not boom and bust, that is pacing. So mm. if you have a, a friend's wedding and you give yourself three days to recover, you've anticipated that you've built that into your schedule. So that's pacing. You can do that. Um, but what I've started to do accidentally, I think is to go on days out with friends and do stuff, which is great. Um, but then the next day, sometimes even the second day, I'm just, you know, there's nothing doing and I want to be doing stuff. I have stuff I need to be doing. I haven't factored that in as a rest day. Um, so it's hard and it's something that I think it does need almost like a constant sort of revisiting to, to see how you're how you're maintaining that balance mm. well what you were saying what I well what I meant by um avoiding things that flare you is I think what I was talking about is being just aware and that awareness and um I went on a similar like three week long course about pain management and mm. uh, we did mindfulness hydrotherapy uh learn about the science of pain learn about our, uh, you know how that connects to our emotions and feelings of guilt mm. and etc 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 um so it sounds like a very similar sort of course run, yeah, run by the NHS uh, and specialist pain clinics. And for anybody who's listening, I would thoroughly recommend uh, going on one of those if you can, if you get yeah, the chance. Um, but they do kind of teach you how to stop avoiding completely, but how mm. to approach uh, things in a way where you understand the impact that it'll have on you. Yeah. So it's not so much about avoiding things completely because I definitely got into a cycle a few years ago before I went on this course of doing an hour and a half of gardening or something that I enjoyed. Um, and then doing too much for me, but yeah. not as much as what, uh, uh, quote unquote healthy person would be able to do you know my my some of my family members can go out in the garden for three four hours but I, so I would thought I was reducing my amount of activity but I was still yeah. doing too much for me yeah and so then I was like well I just need to not do gardening at all whereas what was probably reasonable for me was to do 20 minutes mm. and what I learned on on the course that I went on with pacing was about finding out your baseline and that mm. for me was a massive game changer. And for people who might not know, your baseline is kind of the things that you can do on your worst day. And so you find out what they are, you set them and you do it with a sense of kindness towards yourself. So mm. if you can only manage to uh, do one stretch that, uh, the, uh, you know, per day on, on per muscle, then mm. that's it. That's your baseline. That's fine. Yeah. Because you can do that on your worst day. And then you do that and you continually do that and you don't go into boom and bust and you don't um, flare yourself up. And then you think, oh, do you know what? Maybe I'll try two and do yeah. that for a week. And, and then maybe it builds to three. And that's kind of how you do it. But again, like you said, you can't always mm. anticipate or you can't always say, well, I just can't go to that wedding. Or I can't, yeah. I can't go to that interview or I can't, you know, traveling. I can't, I can't travel. So mm. instead of you're limiting yourself, it is about building in that self-awareness and that plan of, mm. do you know what? I, uh, I can't do that uh, without 
building in two days of rest yeah. and then allowing yourself to rest. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is its own challenge. Um, and what you were saying, so, uh, sorry, I'm rambling on a bit here, but I'm coming to a point, I promise. Um, what you were just saying about noticing recently that you've got yourself back into some boom and bust habits, I can most certainly identify with that um, over the past couple of weeks. Anybody who saw uh, a while ago, I posted uh, a picture of my calendar for the week. And I said, uh, you know, you're busy when you have to schedule in your own rest. <laughs> but the problem was, and the problem that I'm finding after after almost being at the end of that week is that I wasn't prioritizing my rest first. I was saying, right, where can I fit in rest? Uh... And I have been way more tired this week than I had been in previous weeks. This week, uh, I started a new job uh, part time just to kind of supplement things. I have recorded uh, three podcasts by the end of the week. I've done a few coaching sessions. Uh, you know, it's I you can get to a point where you feel a bit healthier and a bit less pain and you're you're doing pacing well and you think, do you know what? I should really capitalize on this and I could do all the things that I wanted to do. <laughs> and then you end up not pacing, going into boom and bust. Yeah. Uh and and the problem is is a lot of the time it's stuff you want to do and and you can let your excitement kind of take over a little bit. Yeah. So I guess that's my experience of it. Um how uh, do you find that running your own business impacts on that creeping of boom and bust? <laughs> wow, I'm I'm wondering if that's why I've started to accidentally boom and bust. To be honest, because yeah, I've started. So I've I'm putting more time into my business. So I'm I have what's called a portfolio career. I do a few things. Um, so I've got my own coaching business. I'm setting up. Um, I work as a learning support assistant in a secondary school. Um, and I also do uh, like marketing for um, another uh, business coaching startup. And I think I'll always be like that. I've always liked doing lots of things and not just focusing on one thing. Um, so what I'm trying to find time for is not only doing all those things. I mean, the, the marketing support and my coaching business, the majority of that can be done from home. So that's that's a big bonus because I don't have to I don't spend energy traveling, commuting um, or, you know, being somewhere else. I can just sit and work at my pace and just bang things out. Um, it's amazing how productive you can be when you're just in your pajamas. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> just wake up and just start working. I know people are like, don't you want to get dressed first? No, that takes energy and time. <laughs> I know exactly what I need to do. I'm just going to I'm gonna knock it out. And as a little aside, I saw um, uh, Joan Collins was on The One Show a few months ago. Um, and I know like, I'm sure my, my dad something's very like, I'll get up, I'll get dressed, uh, I've got my, my plan laid out for the day, my agenda, and we'll crack on. I'm pretty much like, wake up. There's something that needs to be done here. Let's go and do it. And um, Joan Collins was talking about how she writes. And she says she literally, she wakes up. She has a laptop by her bed. She doesn't even get out of bed. She cracks it open and starts writing. I thought, you know what? It's good enough for her. Mm. I'm doing it. <laughs> so that's my justification. Um but yeah, so coming back to yeah, how it impacts the business. So I'm trying to balance all those things, but I'm doing a lot more on my business now because I'm doing less at the school. And the what I'm finding is because I'm in that space where I am doing a lot of marketing to attract clients. So I'm I'm putting a lot out 
and things are slowly coming back but it, it is you know the, the rate of return is a lot slower and when that happens you, you can quite easily get discouraged and think well am I just shouting into a void you know is this all worth it um, and I've actually been surprised by how much energy doing stuff like social media planning uh, marketing you know writing biographies writing blog articles writing uh, I mean you know whatever uh, so this social media campaign doing, of course I had to write a lot of blurb for that I had to design a downloadable um, calendar I had to figure out how I was going to make it work technically because I knew nothing about landing pages and you know all that kind of stuff and I've been really surprised at how much energy that's that's taken up so I'm still finding my way, I think is, is the answer. It is, it's a balancing act. I mean, I made sure I took yesterday off from business. You know, I went out with my friends. Um, and I think apart from speaking to you today, I think the rest of today is going to be doing stuff around the house in a self-care fashion. So not in a, you know, I have to clean, but, you know, I need to clear the space so I can do some work. Mm. I'm having a flute lesson later, so I'll be making some music, which would be lovely. I love doing that. Um, so yeah, difficult, and, I, and it is something I'm I'm constantly, constantly reviewing because mm. um, it is yeah it has to pay off in the end. So I'm I'm trying to get to a point where, and I'm sure it will happen, where eventually all the stuff I'm putting out, or you know the net I'm casting, the seeds I'm sowing, will come back, and of course with that it isn't just money, it's energy as well. You know, knowing you've been heard and working with people, that, you know, my target group that I want to work with. Um, so I'm waiting, I'm, you know, focusing on that. Um, but I will also be realistic. I mean, if I get to a point where it's taking more from me than I'm getting back, I will have to look at it and say, is this actually, you know, is this sustainable? Mm. And is it worth it? Because, you know... I think, I mean, we, we spoke a, a little while ago um, and caught up on this and, and we seem to be pretty much at the exact same point in our journeys. <laughs> uh, we've both got kind of part-time jobs on the side that we used to supplement. Uh, we've both started our own businesses within the same sort of time frame, and I'm in the exact same place. You know, I've got a couple of, of um, uh, a few coaching clients, but it's not enough to, you know, be a full-time business. Um, I'm doing podcasts, uh, I'm doing blog writing every week, I'm doing uh, social media every day and scheduling it all in and YouTube videos and all sorts. And I'm really enjoying it, but there is like a pressure to keep up with it and to put yourself out there and to, you know, you need all this marketing and you need to communicate with your clients and you need to really get clear about your clients and and yeah. talk to them and speak to them on an individual level and I'm totally all for that but when you've got that on top of mm. a chronic condition um yeah. it it's a bit of a game changer and you have to conserve your energy or you have to think about your energy at least and be aware of of what why you're doing stuff what's coming back um mm -hmm. And I'm at the same position as you at the moment where I'm putting lots out there and I'm getting good feedback from people, but I'm not, you know, I'm not coaching uh, every client yeah. or every like yeah, that yeah. I get. I'm not, you know, I'm not, it's not turning into a coaching session or a coaching package. Um, so I, I completely understand where you're coming from. And um, I think that there's an added sort of level of complication when, when you're managing uh, chronic illness Absolutely. Um, yeah. and and trying to run your own business but it seems I've come across 
since I've kind of honed in on on this is the area that I want to coach in, I've met more people who have chronic conditions who happen to have found coaching or be mm. coaches themselves. And there seems to be some sort of correlation. Almost every other coach I speak to says, oh yeah, I've got this chronic condition. So <laughs> I'm wondering for you, how did you come yeah. uh, across coaching and, and what was that like for you? So I originally came across it. Um, so I, a few years ago, I did uh, a master's in psychology. Um, and I originally was thinking about being uh, training after that to be an educational psychologist. Um, but for various reasons, I decided to put that on hold. Um, and I was looking at what other areas of psychology I could go into. So I knew I wanted to do something psychology related. And coaching came up and I didn't know much about it at the time. And I sort of read, well, that could be useful. But like a lot of people, I thought coaching was telling people what, what to do. They should yeah. be, you know, I know how you can fix that. You know. Sort my life out. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, and obviously the more I looked into it, the more I found that that wasn't the case. Um, so it was in the back of my mind. And I was looking at, you know, various ways you can use that in work and how you could train. And then I did uh, the COPE program. That was telling you about the pain management program. And there was a lot of, um, even though it was run by um, psychologists, so clinical psychologists, uh, physiotherapists and nurses. Um, but a lot of it was coaching focused. And the one, the, the one incident that stood out in my mind, I mean, apart from it, being an overall, overall great course, um, we had to do something where we were given the task of doing something in public, I think that would sort of benefit us or benefit our health that we were too scared to do. And two of us said stretching, because, you know, if you go out and your muscles start tensing up, you need to stretch them. Like yesterday, great example, being at the, the museum. Loved it, but after not very long of walking around slowly and looking at things and reading things, your muscles start to really, really tense up. So I sort of sat down and I was on the bench doing, you know, my pelvic tilts and my stretching and all that. And I could not have done that. I wouldn't have done that before the coat course. I would have just walked around suffering in pain. And eventually I would have been so tense that I would have had real difficulty walking. So one of the psychologists said, right, OK, so behind this hospital, there's there was a square. She said, you two and me, we're going to go out there and we're going to stretch. Are you actually joking? Because it was lunchtime and this is in a really built up area. So there were tons of offices. Um, so she took us out and she said, OK, so I'm going to go first. Stand right, stood right in the middle of this square where people are, you know, crossing for lunch and going to restaurants and stuff. And um, so I'm going to go first and then. You go. You you can follow me. So you just stand. So you watch. Watch what I'm doing, and maybe look around at other people. Oh, okay, right. Thinking what? There's no way anybody is going to do this. So what's to do it? She was just stretching, and I was looking around at everyone, and people were just walking past us, like hardly even clocking us. So like, okay. So she finishes and she comes back and said, okay. So what did you think? And we said, oh well, yeah, you know, look good. You look fine. I'm okay. So she said, all right, your turn. So I thought, okay, I'll, I won't go last. I'll, I'll do my first because, <laughs> you know, it's easier. Um, so I went, stood in the same place. And it was almost like, I don't know, you know that feeling if you're on a roller coaster just before you go over the top and you're like, ah. And I just kind of started stretching. 
and I just immediately went into this zone and I was just so focused I think it really is what people talk about when they talk about mindfulness you know Mm. being focused on the present I was absolutely there I was just focusing on the stretching moves and there was some tai chi moves that we've been doing you know in the in the classroom and I was kind of aware there were people around me but I wasn't bothered and I was just so in the zone and then I finished and I just had this feeling of I mean absolute accomplishment but also and I think I've written about this um when I was doing my coaching diploma, that I'd kind of reconnected with myself and come back to myself. And it was just absolutely amazing. And when I'd done that, I knew I wanted to do something that would help others, you know, have that feeling, help them do something that they looked at and went, what? There's no way I can do this. Are you kidding me? And then, you know, they've done it. So mm-hmm. that's when I started looking to coaching more seriously. Um, and it wasn't very long after that. It was only a few months, I think, I signed up for my my coaching diploma yeah so that's how that happened it, it, just what you were saying there about um reconnecting to yourself uh I hadn't thought about it until now I've been kind of searching and thinking and reflecting but not I haven't dedicated much time to it yet um about what is that link between you know chronic pain and coaching like it's I keep coming across this and and people keep you know um I keep seeing people who have chronic pain who end up becoming coaches um and what you were just saying about reconnecting to yourself. I think if you're going to manage chronic pain and do it in a positive way that, that is kind to yourself and that, that where you can, um, I don't mean this in a bad way, but, uh, not wallow in it. Uh, cause yeah, that's, I know what you mean. It, it's, it, you, I've definitely had times and periods of time where I've, I've been in a wallow kind of place. Um, then you it's it's advised on those courses and and by uh, you know anybody who who um is successful in it to really connect with yourself and reconnect with yourself and listen to your body and understand yourself and it's all about that self-awareness and that's exactly what coaching gives you and that's mm. exactly what coaching is all about so thank yeah. you for for bringing that to light because <laughs> i've just thought oh yeah that's it that's precisely it um mm. so uh okay I talk a lot about uh, on this podcast about um, misconceptions or myths. What do you think are some that come along with either chronic pain and illness or coaching? Oh, Lord. Uh, Well, I suppose the number one in coaching is that, yeah, I mentioned earlier that we tell people what to do. Mm. Um, It's funny you asked about that, actually, because I am intending to write a blog article on this. Uh, There was an article on life coaching in The Guardian. It was last week or the week before. Uh, it was a great article. It was, it was about why uh, younger people, so sort of 16 to 20 years old, are now seeking out life coaches. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, it was a really good article. Unfortunately, I don't know if you saw the comments. The comments were riddled with myths about life coaches. So from the top of my head, um, so yes, myth number one, a life coach tells you what to do. No, we don't. If someone is telling you they're a life coach and they're charging you, for it and they're telling you what to do run away <laughs> unless unless they're a qualified mentor i mean yeah. that you know they're a qualified mentor that's fine if not they're basically taking money for giving you advice you know um which kind of ties in to myth number two which is what makes you qualified to tell me what to do well i'm not telling you what to do <laughs> um so the qualification that a life coach has i mean yes it is an unregulated industry 
uh, a lot of people don't know that actually counselling and therapy are unregulated industries as well. So yes, anyone can call themselves a life coach, anyone can call themselves a counsellor, anyone can call themselves a therapist. Um, but not only are we not telling you what to do, for someone who has had training, they are trained to listen to you in a way that you won't be aware of. Um, they're trained to listen to the language you're using, the way you're speaking, you know, what you're mentioning, how often you're mentioning it, the, the context you're talking about things in, and to help you pick out patterns, to help you become aware of these things so that you can then bring them to the front and tackle them. So tackle your limiting beliefs, tackle the narratives that, that you're living with, um, and then move on in the way that you want to move on. Mm. Um, I'm trying to, what was the, the other one? So actually I suppose type of that is a coach doesn't necessarily have to be living the life that you would like to leave, lead, sorry, um, be older than you. Um, there was a lot of, uh, there was one life coach who, oh, she wasn't very young. She was only about 19 to be fair. However, everyone, of course, in the comments were saying, well, what makes her qualified? She hasn't been around for very long. Again, you don't need the life experience because a coach won't be drawing on their own experience. They'll be listening to you and your experiences. So if a young person's actually managed to train and qualify as a life coach, that's amazing because they've actually passed a really rigorous set of uh, tests or exams or assessments. And they've been deemed worthy to have that that qualification of yeah. life coach. Yeah. Um and yeah, the thing that I mentioned earlier about, um, well, if you can't control your emotions and you're not living this this life, how can you coach me? Because we're human. You know, no one can control their emotions. You know, not therapists, not psychologists, no one. Mm. And you shouldn't control them. You are human. But, you know, use, use them to live the life that you want to live. You know, don't use them as an excuse to berate people or keep yourself held in, you know, a position or place in life you don't want to be in feel them acknowledge them and if they're not helping you see someone like a coach if it's if you feel like you're suffering see a therapist um but yeah the uh, controlling emotions one got me a bit oh, yeah. and the um you know unless you're really successful and you're earning tons of money again what makes you qualified because I got the skills. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and actually, some, something that I think is really important to point out. Um, so my tagline for my business, and I know this will change at some point. I don't know when, but it will. Because, um, you know, business evolves like people do. Um, my tagline at the moment is uh, coaching for women who want to soar. And I chose that because when I did that stretching thing that I told you about on the coat program, that's how I felt afterwards. You know, I felt like I was flying. And every time I've... I've conquered a challenge since and done something that I thought I'm not ever going to be able to do this. I've just felt like I was flying, which is an amazing feeling, but that means something different to everyone. You know, I think it's really prevalent in society that to be soaring, you have to be successful all the time. You have to have a job with a fancy title uh, or that earned you X amount of pounds. You know, you have to be, um, you know, flying here, there and everywhere, preferably in a certain class of travel um, to be considered soaring and successful. Well, for those of us who, you know, not I mean, not just limited to those of us who've got chronic health conditions, but obviously this is the context we're speaking in. Um, soaring can mean getting up and going downstairs and making your own breakfast. And for some people, that is a serious win. You know, it can mean reading 
three or four pages of a book that you've been really wanting to read, but you're just too tired to make sense of words or, you know, your eyes are hurting too much to focus on a page. Um, and what's also important to mention is as we move through life, we're constantly stretching our comfort zones. So I've been in a little bit of a, not exactly a funk, but I think in, you know, as I've been working on my business, as I was saying, and spending more time on it, more energy on it, and I've been thinking, oh, is this, you know, is this going to be worth it? You shouldn't have waited. I was doing this with the should, which mm. is, you know, it's that terrible cognitive distortion. But I was, and I was aware I was doing it, <laughs> you know, in my own head. Um, oh, shouldn't I be at this level by now? And should I still be doing this? And I thought, am I just repeating a pattern? And I sort of sat and I reflected and I was looking at, you know, what was I telling myself? What was I saying to myself? And what's actually, what have my experiences actually been? And although it initially felt like I was repeating a pattern, I'm not. I'm going forward, which is why I keep feeling these things, because I'm constantly stretching my comfort zone. And whenever you do that, it's going to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And it might feel like you're starting at day one, but you're not. You've, you've got all the experience behind you and you've got all the times behind you that you, you know, you got through this thing. But it just it feels hauntingly familiar. <laughs> um so I think that's really important to point out is that one day you will feel like you're soaring. And the next day you feel like you've fallen off a mountain again because that's life and yeah. we're humans and that's what happens. But it doesn't mean that you can't use all the tools you have, you learn through coaching or therapy or whatever you're, it is you're doing to then, okay, I'm going to tackle this and then get, you know, get back to that place. And just expect it to be rocky because life is. Yeah. I think uh, everything you've just said is so <laughs> hashtag relatable for me <laughs> because um, all the myths that you just talked about, about the fact that, um, and I came through these myths myself, you know, before I qualified, I definitely thought that a life coach was somebody who just sorted your life out. I remember helping my sister. I think I've spoken this before in a, about this in a, before in a, a YouTube video or a blog, um, I was helping her sort out her room. It was a bit messy and we were we were reorganizing things. And I was basically bossing her about and, and saying, right, come on, get on with this, get on with that. And she said, oh, you should be a life coach. And I laughed it off and I didn't think anything of it. And then when I started training, I was like, oh, this is a funny little circle of, you know, coincidence years later that I'm doing this. But then when you actually do full training when you do accredited professional training in being a life coach you it suddenly becomes aware to you how much there is to learn and how complicated being a coach is you're right anybody can call themselves a coach but do they know different tools and techniques do they know how to hold space and be present do they know how to actively listen do they know how to um use effective questioning because that in itself I mean you can do days and days and days of training just on how to ask a question um, and just on how to to hold the space just on feelings of non-judgmental you know um, confidential spaces so um, I think that's one myth that I get quite uh, passionate about is is um, how are you qualified to tell me what to do no number one I'm not telling you know what to do number two uh, I need to be qualified and good at being a coach and that's all. Uh, I don't need to know what you're... I don't even know to, need to know the details. As long as you know the details and you know what feeling more confident means for you, Absolutely. then that's where we can work from. Um, and as well, uh, what you were talking about um, with 
the you have to have your own life sorted out. When I first started coaching and I saw all these amazing qualified coaches and I still occasionally slip into it now if I see uh, people on you know social media who have their own businesses and their their coaching businesses are amazing and I earn 5k a month and it can be very easy to go oh what what am I doing I'm not good as a coach blah 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 but um, the beauty of being a coach and coaching as a process in general is that we are just humans who are having a conversation with fellow humans we're not superior we're not there's no hierarchy we are there as a partner to support you through your journey and it is about your journey and we are doing the exact same thing with our own coaches you know yeah. we are the coachy in somebody else's uh yeah. journey and they'll have their own coaches uh and yeah. it's a process and it's all about self-awareness and about growth um so we're not the finished product whatever that means <laughs> no matter if somebody's putting themselves out there as the finished product then per, for me i tend to be dubious about them now because uh, automatically yeah. suspicious yeah because, because no one is a finished product ever because we are human beings yes and it's all about <laughs> growth and, and and there is no ceiling to that and f- like you said for some people i know for me years ago uh, i was reliant on a wheelchair for me walking 50 yards down the road was an incredible achievement for that day now at the time because I hadn't found coaching I wasn't in a space where I recognized that as achievement Mm. and I was stuck in in self-blame and and guilt and uh the wallowing um Mm. and so coaching has really helped me um it's not just about being positive all the time like you said feeling actually most of the time when you're growing it's quite uncomfortable oh yeah (laughs) but that's brilliant and feeling comfortable being uncomfortable <laughs> or just you know yeah. just whatever that means but uh understanding and accept the for me it's all about acceptance um yeah. accepting that it's going to be uncomfortable and that's okay that you mm-hmm. can feel sort of inverted commas negative emotions and mm-hmm. still be yeah. okay our brain has uh, an incredible capacity to try and protect us from from uncomfortableness um and coaching is great at at helping you feel that and be and still be safe and still be okay um oh i love coaching it's great (laughs) i would say that because i'm a coach but (laughs) there we go okay so um i know that uh you know, we're talking for a long time on this podcast and we've both got chronic pain. So in in the uh, in in that sphere, we're going to kind of bring things to a close now. Um, and I ask all my podcast guests three questions at the end of each uh, episode. And they're a bit okay. cheesy, but I just <laughs> like them. So I'm going to ask them. Um, okay. Number one, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh... any superpower okay i think if i could use one superpower it would be to fly because i just i often have dreams where i'm i'm kind of flying it's a bit weird i i'm swimming through the air so i'm basically doing breaststroke and i'm only about four foot above the pavement like i'm not really high um the superpower would be to fly without fear because i'm a 
I'm not exactly scared of heights, but I'm I'm afraid of being high up with nothing underneath me. So the superpower would have to get rid of the fear as well. But yeah, that would be my my choice. I think that's perfectly rational, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think most people are scared of having nothing underneath you if you're up high. Um, because that generally means death unless you can fly. Well, yes. Yeah, I was thinking more about... Um, I don't know if you've ever been on them. I've only been them once. But if you're on like a ski lift, but they don't have anything under your feet. So you do have something... You have the chair bit, but your feet are just dangling. Yeah. I find that terrifying. Yeah. And I suppose that really fits into your soaring idea. So that's kind yeah. of nice and poetic. Yeah. <laughs> soaring um, with something under you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just a magic carpet ride. So... <laughs> Question number two. Uh, if you could invite anybody, dead or alive, real or fictional, to a dinner party or a private rendezvous, who would it be? Um, I think I have three. So there is someone no longer with us. Actually, I think I'd love to have a dinner party with Judy Garland. Ooh. I love her music. I've always loved her music and I've just always wondered what you know, she seems like she would absolutely be life and soul of the party. And but I've I've often wondered what she'd be like to just sit down and chat with. Mm, I think I'm going to have so, to add her to my list. Actually, now you've said it. Yeah, that's a definitely Judy Garland. Um, and also, I think in the living, um, Jamila Jamil, the actress. Ah. Who's in uh, The Good Place, which I only actually saw part of an episode yesterday for the first time, actually, um, because she is, oh, she's doing amazing things. I mean, she is, she's doing something that I think most women are scared of doing, uh, quite understandably so, um, because, you know, the, the abuse and kickback they get from social media and all sorts of places. But she's standing up to stuff she thinks is complete bullshit and is, and is basically calling it out left, right and centre. They're saying, this is not okay this is not okay let's be better and she's also she's owning her own stuff as well she's she's not living as the perfect person she's saying yes i'm human i make mistakes i have made mistakes these are a few of the things i've done and no doubt some more will probably come out you know as i go on but hey we need to be better mm. because of that because she is um of south asian heritage which you know for me growing up i didn't see many famous south asian people um so that's amazing. I already know she's being a role model to, you know, to people younger than herself. I'm a bit older than her and I still think she's a fantastic role model. And she actually has Ernest Daniel syndrome as well. Ah. Yeah. Which is pretty much, she's basically taking all the boxes. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and and I, she seems really fun as well. Like she doesn't take herself too seriously. Um, yeah. So I, I'd definitely like to, to kick back and have a chat with her. And also just say, I think you're really cool. <laughs> fangirl for a moment oh yeah totally <laughs> yeah that that's my my pick excellent I, th I think that would be an excellent dinner party <laughs> yeah that'd be really cool <laughs> cool so uh number three finally yeah uh what animal best describes you and why oh uh definitely labrador ah <laughs> <laughs> i am such a labrador um just because i'm uh, totally overexcitable i bounce here there and everywhere um, I mean, you can almost see my tail wagging when I get excited about something. <laughs> I try to do that, the whole body stance. Um, yeah, I have a real affinity with, with the Labrador, which is a bit weird, actually, because I've got two cats. I haven't, I haven't even got dogs, but <laughs> I won't tell them. Um, but yes, 
definitely the Labrador. Oh, that's so sweet. I love them. Um, great. Well, thank you so much for being uh, on my podcast today. Uh, where can people find you? People can find me. Uh, my website is www.sarahwalsh.london. Um, I am on Instagram as at Coach Cesar. So that's Coach S E Z Z A. Um, I don't really Twitter very much, but I am on Twitter with that handle. And uh, I do have a Facebook page with that handle as well. Um, so that's where you can find my my musings. <laughs> and do you want to tell people about um, your amazing uh, challenge this month? You mentioned it oh, earlier. Well, thank you. Yes. So uh, I think regardless of when this podcast comes out, actually, it probably will still be going. So I'm running a challenge on social media. Uh, primarily Instagram, but I'm doing a bit on Facebook as well. It's called hashtag chronically kicking it. Um, so it's a campaign for those of us who have uh, chronic health conditions to keep a track of our wins for 30 days. Um, so if you go to either my Instagram page or my website, there's a link to chronically kicking it. You can download a free calendar that I've made up from there and that will let you track your wins over 30 days. Uh, so the idea is you do a post if you can every day if you can't that is absolutely fine because you know chronic health conditions in life i mean i struggled to do my own post yesterday and i'm running the program <laughs> so that is absolutely fine you can jump in whenever you can um so tag your win with the hashtag chronically kicking it and tag me at coach cesar in it as well i am going to be doing this is a slightly scary bit because i haven't done it before i'm going to be doing a live instagram call every monday um, that is noted on the calendar. It will be around six or seven p.m. But I will do I'll do posts to let people know when they are. And the idea of the live call is that we can come together, give each other a bit of support. We can talk about our big win of the week. So out of the seven seven days of wins you clocked up, what was your best one? And we can set our future focus for next week. So as an example, um, I I'm not sure what my win of the week will be yet, but I know my future focus for next week will be less boom and bust so trying to work on that um and also we can just come together and give give each other a bit of encouragement and then at the end of the challenge i'm going to do an insta, insta live wrap up um and what i'm hoping to do is get feedback from people on where they'd like to go from here so if they found the support useful if they found the challenge useful um you know are there directions we can point them in or I'm thinking about running a small coaching group um, for those of us who have chronic health conditions. So it'd be, it'd be online, you know, you can do it at your own pace. Again, there will be live calls, but it, they'll probably be recorded. So again, you can catch up. Um, but yeah, just giving some feedback on, is that something that people would, would want to do? Would they find it helpful? So that's the challenge. So yeah, whenever you're listening to this, um, have a look for that hashtag and jump in whenever you can. Woo! And I mean, I'm taking part in the challenge, although I'm behind on my toes because <laughs> I am also probably my focus for next week will also be not going into boom and bust yeah. uh, and scheduling myself better because this week's been a challenge. Um, but yeah, I think it's awesome what you're doing and uh, I will be hashtag chronically kicking it this week. So uh, we hope you have a wonderful week, uh, whatever you're doing, um, wherever you are, and I uh, hope you've enjoyed listening. Bye.